0: kind of feels like old times on this episode we talked to aaron heifel who decided however many years ago regular travel nursing just wasn't for him he needed something just a little bit more atlas all access starts now
1: Aaron, welcome hi. to Omaha. Thank you. This is awesome. I love Omaha.
0: So I, you've, been through, you've, you've been through a few times. Yep. Um, talk to me about kind of where you how your travel nursing
1: career started. Wow. Um, I'm old, so it's been a while. <laughs> um, I actually uh, started traveling as an LPN, um, which seems fairly unusual. Although you, at, the, at the conference every year, we see LPNs who travel, and it's really good to see. Because at the time, it seemed I was the only one. I, uh, at least in the ER setting that I was working in, and that was fairly rare back then. And it was the early 2000s, and I'd been working um, as an LPN in an ER and an urgent care, and a recruiter called, and they're like, do you want to go to the Virgin Islands? (laughs) Um, And this was in a a cold and rainy Pacific Northwest, December. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. (laughs) That sounds ideal. So yeah, went and uh, worked on St. Croix for a while. And then traveled, finished my RN, uh, worked overseas for a while, and then just came back and, and did uh, ER contracts for different agencies, um, having an absolute blast. Eventually, not bored with that, because I was lucky enough to work in really, really cool places that you don't necessarily get bored. But there's always a little bit of the grass is greener. I think a lot of us travelers have a bit of the grass is greener syndrome. That's an actual diagnosis. There's an ICD-9 code for it or code <laughs> Um, grass is greener syndrome and, uh, I have it bad. And so I was working in Alaska and I'm like, Hmm, this is cool, but maybe a cruise ship would be fun. So I went and worked on a cruise ship for a while, got lucky enough to be based in Europe. That was, that was pretty nice. And then decided that I'd wanted to fly. Um, and I'd kind of wanted to fly, for a while, a lot of the rural areas that I did travel contracts at, anybody sick, you had to fly off. Mm-hmm. Any like you could keep them on event for a day or two, but then you got to get them to a real hospital, um, or a bigger hospital at least. And so we would fly, and I'm like, that's the kind of interesting I want to do, and I've been doing that ever since. About what year did you decide that? And grass is greener from Alaska. Holy cow! Like <laughs> I don't know if it gets any more beautiful than Alaska. Oh that is so true. I was like, you know, if I worked out in uh, Dutch Harbor, Alaska, yeah, um, which is just one of the prettiest places on earth. We used to joke we were the northernmost Hawaiian island. Um, <laughs> but it's way north and just an absolutely stunningly beautiful place. That was 2009, I think, was when I left there and okay. then went to the cruise line and then started flying in 2011. I wrote down so you just recently had a piece published on the Travcon
0: website just interviewing a traveler who has worked a contract or two for us. Oh cool. We're very familiar. Awesome. Yeah. So it, it it's interesting how they kind of outlined your in, in one paragraph, I don't know if you wrote this or if, if they wrote it, uh, but your kind of your experience and how like you just like you said, you started off as a you started off traveling and then decided, you know what, I'm gonna go a little more extreme than that. <laughs> And, you know, in the conversations that we've had, that seems like that it seems like it fits your personality. Like it seems like it fits who you are. And, you know, so give me an idea just based on
1: that kind of that, like, what haven't you done that you want to do? Oh, that's the the big one. Antarctica. And I've been as a tourist. In fact, Jerry Spidal, that that traveler that Uh um, wrote the blog post about she and I met on a trip to Antarctica. We really? had both been to the conference several times mm-hmm. and had never met at the conference. And then we're on this, this boat to Antarctica, and I realized that we're like, hey, wait, wait a second. Yeah, we've both been to this place um, and have been friends since that was about a year and a half ago. So I want to work there. I would love to go work in Antarctica. Unfortunately, the opportunities are fairly slim. They do have a flight nurse program down there. Um, run by the Antarctic program and they use nurses on a six to nine month locum basis. And my, uh, fiance, she is not going to let me go to Antarctica for six to nine months.
0: Yet. Yet. Maybe. (laughs) Okay. So take me back to when you first started and compare it to now. How has the kind of flight nursing
1: thing changed? Like how has that evolved and changed? Wow. Um, Radical differences and a lot of it is the evolution of healthcare in the United States, the specialization of facilities and the increasing need to go to an urban area from a rural area for care and um, the, the long distance critical care stuff that we do some insurance companies they won't contract with or they won't even do their own, say, liver transplants at a local facility. They'll contract with a facility halfway across the country to do them. So we'll pick up their patient and take them to another city. Government facilities as well, the Veterans Administration, they have specialty facilities where they do, say, transplants or other procedures. Um, And so we will go and get their people from an outlying facility or a non-specialty facility and take them to where the care needs to be done. We also saw, as travel was booming... We were much, much busier as far as repatriations, getting people home from vacation after they have been sick and ill, mm. um, sick and injured. And that, I mean, that came to a screeching halt this year. I've done, I think, two repatriation trips since COVID started, one from Belize and one from Mexico. Um, so places that Americans were still able to get into. So that, that will come back eventually, I'm sure, as, as people start to travel again. Um, but that was a huge thing. like. 15, 20 years ago, nobody had been to Iceland. Mm-hmm. We would stop there for a fuel stop um, going somewhere else in Europe. But now it seems everybody wants to go to Iceland. <laughs> and so we would go and get people who got sick or injured there. So help me understand, because every
0: hospital has a different has different protocol, right? Every So when you're in the air, I assume that's your protocol right I mean that's how does that work from because every hospital is different right every mm-hmm. hospital how they do things that's one of the things we hear from travelers all the time when you're in the air does the do you set it I mean not you necessarily right, right? but
1: how does that work we have a medical director okay um, and every service will have a medical director in fact every base usually has a medical director and I work I'm based in Denver And our medical director is a Colorado licensed physician and she's awesome. She's absolutely wonderful. And she approves the protocols and sets them. And then we do, um, monthly and quarterly education, um, quarterly practice on intubations and the advanced skills that flight nursing and flight respiratory therapy has to have. And so it's the quality assurance she has, there's staff that that deal with that. But ultimately we practice using her protocols that Mm -hmm. she sets and approves. I was
0: curious about that because while you're in the air, I mean, you're not necessarily at one hospital or right. the other. So, interesting. and that does
1: bring up a lot of people are like, well, I'm only licensed in one. We have to be licensed in the state that our aircraft is based in, in my case, Colorado. Understood. Um, and there's like when you're flying overseas, the laws vary massively. Go to Saudi or Europe or anywhere to pick up a patient. Um, and the general rule is you, you practice under the laws of the aircraft or of the country the aircraft is flagged in. Gotcha. Okay, so catch me up. Where are you now? And where are you going? Okay. Um, I work for uh, AirMed International. Um, and the company is based in Birmingham. But like I said, I'm Denver-based. And we do a two-week on, two-week off rotation. So we take patients all over, all over the world. And the Learjets that I work on are mostly Mexico, Canada, Caribbean, domestic. And we'll, we're lucky. We're, we're kind of homeless. <laughs> um, in a way. I, uh, yeah, we're lucky to be homeless. We uh, pick up a patient and we take them and then we stay there. So when we come to Omaha, we, and we bring patients into Omaha a lot. You have some really good facilities here as far as tertiary care and specialty care. Um, so we'll bring patients in here a lot, and then we'll stay for a day or so mm-hmm. until our next trip, which is kind of neat. Get to explore, eat and drink, and, and play a lot. Got to be here during the College World Series a couple oh, years ago. Yeah. That was good fun. Hard to find a hotel, but mm-hmm. good fun. Right. But it's a two-week-on, two-week-off rotation. So I normally work the last half of every month, um, say from the 15th to the the end of the month. Um, and then another crew comes on for two weeks and I'm off to play and so right now uh, my fiance and I were driving across country on my two weeks off and uh, we're going to a, a winter place in New Hampshire
0: <laughs> I, I mean there's way worse places you can choose yes. than New Hampshire I think so uh, I think you'll be just fine up there if anyone if, if there's like there's a traveler out there that's thinking about this what advice would you give them
1: oh that's awesome um because, flight, frankly, flight nursing is, is the best. Like I have done most of the, the different things you can do in, in this kind of extreme travel, if you will. Um, and flight nursing is by far the best. Critical care experience. ICU. S- emphasize the ICU, but also some ER. It's a mix. If you could do half and half ER and ICU for three to five years, mm-hmm. you're there. Um, as far as clinical skills. And this is where I, I differ with some of my colleagues on this. There is a huge not dispute but difference of opinion mm-hmm. as to whether the urban level 1 trauma center experience is better or the rural tiny hospital where you have to do everything experience is better i personally believe that the rural tiny critical access hospital where you have to do everything is better where you may have one rt for the whole hospital and then as a nurse you have to do a lot of those duties where you're you may not have residents running around you need to do the different skills you won't see the volume, but you see the variety.
0: I, I would think I would tend to agree with you. Maybe just based on uh, layman's uh, looking from the outside, you gotta you're in the air, you're isolated. You kind of got to know everything, right? Yes. Or you gotta you gotta know everything is the wrong. You've got to be familiar with everything, flexible or flexible
1: enough to deal with everything. Sure. <laughs>
0: Within a certain time frame, right? Yes, I mean, you yeah. gotta keep that patient stable until you land and and that patient moves on. So I could see that. I could understand why you would feel that yeah. way.
1: But yeah. I mean, a lot of my colleagues come from the level one, very busy urban trauma center background mm-hmm. and they do wonderful as well. And sure. they, um, so I don't mean to d- demean that experience. Mm-hmm. I think it just brings a different perspective. Okay, so before we got in here, we talked a little bit about some volunteer work that you've done. Oh, okay.
0: Talk about that because that seems in between contracts, especially right now with COVID and doing testing, that type of thing, that, that's an option.
1: Absolutely. Um, travelers who are between contracts right now or maybe just doing per diem or whatever have lots of options right now if they want to go work, even if it's not in their specialty. Mm-hmm. One of the big things right now is COVID testing. Um, so if, if you're, it's not directly through a clinic itself or a hospital system, a lot of times it's the health departments that mm-hmm. are doing them. And they'll recruit volunteers through what are called the State Emergency Register of Volunteers. It's S-E-R-V. Um, and you can just find that whatever your state's is in Oregon. It's serve dash or, um, in Washington, it's waserv, I believe. Hmm. And every state will have a, a registry like that. That's administered through the state office of emergency management. And they don't just do things like COVID. Um, they're recruiting people right now, obviously for, for COVID, but they also, um, I did a shift for a, uh, wildfire shelter. Hmm. They help, uh, in this case, they were helping the red cross staff shelters, um, with nurses, and for people who were displaced by the wildfires, hmm. the recent wildfires out West. So they'll do a lot of that. Back when the first COVID surge was hitting, they set up the field hospital um, at the in the state fairgrounds in Oregon. Um, and I only recently got into volunteering with them because they have so many neat opportunities that, that travelers can look at. Even if they're on a contract and have four days between shifts, there's plenty. They'll say, hey, can you come and do a shift here? That's yeah. awesome, and
0: that it just in general a decent resume builder absolutely too. yeah,
1: so if you travelers can look at their the medical reserve corps and the state emergency register of volunteers are excellent volunteer opportunities gotcha okay, so last question it, it, it's the most important
0: question I think <laughs> at least from at least from my point of view you've been traveling you've been driving across the state, across the state you've been driving across the country you've been a number of places you're a beer guy like I am. Ah what's What's the best either brewery or beer that you've had?
1: Oh man, um, And I, that's a tough question that is. So I'll, I'll okay, I'll go ahead I, I and I realize i I'm gonna be loyal to my home here. um being a normally a Portland based person, mm-hmm. I love rogues hazelnut brown, okay. That is absolutely bar none. Still, my absolute favorite beer. It's just so delicious. <laughs> do, are you generally? Do you gravitate towards brown and, browns? browns, porters, ambers? Okay. Yep. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm uh, not the IPA guy. A lot of people love the IPAs, and especially mm-hmm. in in uh, the Northwest, everybody's all about the IPAs. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it dark, malty.
0: Yeah. Y- you're going to get some up in, <laughs> especially New Hampshire area. You're gonna you're gonna get some pretty special IPAs, mm. double IPAs, hazy IPAs, <laughs> New England styles, you're going to get some of those up there. So keep an open mind yeah, about the it. The more hops, that's... the better, they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dry hop. Look for something dry hop <laughs> so true. you don't necessarily get the bitterness, but you get the aroma, the smell. That is true. So that's <laughs> it. we connected for the what... first time on beer. Indeed. And and have talked at most What is part... yours, though, at this point? What well, is I... I... I I'm I'm very very biased. There's a there's a brewery here in Omaha called Cross Strain okay. that uh, that has they you know it's probably it's right there. Uh, yeah, it's very – Oh, that's
1: a cool bottle label though. Yeah. Wow.
0: Fairy nectar is is by far it's and it's an IPA it's in but it's a gateway IPA I'll make sure you leave with some before <laughs> okay, before, before you go idea. I'll give you some it's a gateway because it's nice and it's it's not too bitter it's it's just a nice a nice IPA okay. so sounds worth trying yes. yeah so that's it, most of our conversations actually <laughs> don't revolve around work it's it's about it's, beer it's beer yeah <laughs> so I, I look forward to as you drive across the country and then once you get to New Hampshire hearing the different types of beer that you've had. Indeed, around there. So, Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. It was awesome to. Uh, it's awesome to see you again. You I mean, we well. haven't. We haven't talked since TrapCon last last yeah. year. So look forward to next year,
1: though. Next oh, year, we will be back. <laughs>
0: I, I have a feeling. I hope. I hope. I hope next year it happens one because I think it's going to be bigger than ever before. I hope just so. just because so many people missed it this year and missed it like like in their heart, missed it. Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.